Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. All the things you said about five naturally are, are spot on, uh, but but easily misinterpreted um, if if you're not careful. The detachment, if you don't manage that, can be seen as cool and distant. Um, if you manage it well, uh, you can teach yourself over time that an attitude of abundance is really more true than the false narrative of scarcity. Morning, Sandra. Good to be with you again as we explore uh, this relationship between types three and five. Yeah, it's a beautiful day in Asheville and wonderful to be with Neil and Bill from Mission Healthcare System. Neil Gurney was born in South Africa and started out his career as a military pilot and then moved to a career in advertising and became CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising for the continent of Africa. He immigrated to the United States in 2002 and was hired by Mission Health in Asheville, North Carolina, and he's now the Director of Operations at the Department of Philanthropy. He's worked with Bill uh, for the last five years. That's correct. Bill Kynard, who leads with Type 5, began his professional career working for a family-owned bank. In 1994, he was asked to assist his alma mater in raising funds for their athletic program, and this began his foray into philanthropy. In 2003, Bill was recruited by the Greenville Hospital System to serve as their director, philanthropy and partnership of the Children's Hospital, and he successfully oversaw the strategic direction of that hospital's philanthropic efforts. He came to Mission Health Department of Philanthropy in December 2014 as the senior vice president, philanthropy and president, Mission Health System Foundation. And he's led a successful effort in raising funds for that organization. Thank you, Bill and Neil. So as we uh, listen to this conversation uh, between Bill, who leads with type 5, and Neil, who leads with type 3, we want to invite our listeners to access or be present to this information, accessing all three of our brains. So we want to have a grounded presence, grounded body, um, open heart, and then a curious mind. And we want to invite this little three and the little five, this in every one of us, to listen in uh, into this conversation. So if you will, take a deep breath with me. For type three, the lead center of intelligence is the heart. Threes know first through feeling or tone. They are relational oriented. They connect with others easily. The focus of attention is on task. What do we need to do? And the motivation is certainly to accomplish and often to be recognized for those accomplishments. The core fear for this type, which can be a reactivity trigger, is when something gets blocked and prevents them from succeeding or accomplishing, or this feeling that I have an inability to accomplish. Strengths for this type include a real strong, energetic, go-ahead kind of energy. Positive, upbeat, can be enthusiastic. They read people quickly. 
They are inspiring and motivational because they get a lot done. They're efficient and, uh, and they're competent and people tend to follow them easily. For type five, the lead center of intelligence is the head. And this means that fives are information oriented. Um, their motivation often is to protect energy, protect their resources, sometimes information. And the focus of attention for fives is intrusion. Who's going to come in to my space or take my energy or um, deplete me potentially? So therefore, the core fear of the five is being drained of that energy, being drained, taking those resources. And so that creates a, a reactivity, particularly if the five uh, doesn't want to feel incompetent. That's another part of the trigger for them. Some of the strengths for type five is uh, their thoughtful analysis. Uh, they can be incredibly self-sufficient, uh, non-demanding, very steady, and dispassionate. Uh, one way to think about that is they can be objective and not be swept away by feelings and emotions, and that can be a real gift. And they think things through clearly by gathering lots of information. These two types in the workplace, three and five, you might call five think three do. It's a think-do combination with five being a withdrawing type and three being an assert type. So the energetic is different, but both think quickly uh, while threes move ahead quickly. These two types are the ones in the Enneagram who are more distant from emotion, with threes being a type that suppresses emotion and fives being a type that detach from emotion in the moment. So we'll see how these pieces play out in this conversation. Again, welcome, guys. Thank you. So uh, Bill and Neil, you guys have been working together for over five years. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So talk about how you, your type shows up in ways that how allows y'all to work well together. So as a, as a three and as a five, how does, how does your type show up in ways that help your work thrive? Well, as you said just now, the, the fives, um, they, they detach themselves, they observe, um, they'll think things through very carefully, strategize, create a plan and goals. Well, that's heaven for a three. <laughs> um, <laughs> at that point, I've got a well-thought-out plan. I know that it's robust because don't waste my time. I'm, I'm efficient. I don't want to be working on something that's going nowhere. So I have a full knowledge that has been thought out properly. And then I have goals. And, and it's about achieving those goals. I, I love to achieve goals. So it's, it really is a, a great, um, for a three, it's, 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 a, it's a great person to have who you work for. Mm. Mm -hmm. As Neil just said, uh, the 3-5 combination has been really good. Um, for me, all the things you said about 5 naturally are, are spot on, uh, but, but easily misinterpreted um, if, if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. The detachment, if you don't manage that, can be seen as cool and distant. Mm. Um, if you manage it well... Uh, you can teach yourself over time that an attitude of abundance is really more true than the false narrative of scarcity, yes. right? And, um, and so Neil was one of the first people I've ever had a chance to really work with who would afford me that kind of space, even when his pace of execution uh, was matched by my pace of planning. Mm. But that means the inverse is true as well. Um, just because I'm thinking it out loud doesn't mean I necessarily want him to act on it, right? And just because he heard me say something that 
in his mind is a plan, he thinks he should act on it. Mm. But it didn't take us long because of the caliber of guy Neil is. It, it didn't take us very long um, to go, ah, now I see when he's thinking out loud. Um, and, and Neil has said this to me before. When I hear you thinking out loud, I have to manage whether that's actually planning and ready for execution or whether you're just generally thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but we only had one or two times where I, I remember we were, we were working with one group and uh, every, everything for me is strategy, even like what color the toilet paper is going to be, right? So, <laughs> um, and so I, we had this plan, Neil and I agreed on it, and Neil was ready to go. A little bit later in the afternoon, something happened, and strategically I wanted to slow one element of it down. And it took me probably, I don't know, Neil, what, 30 minutes in a conversation where I was trying to be very, very aware of his need to execute and my need to be strategic, which means in this case, strategic for me meant that I needed to slow something down that everybody else was expecting as a teaching point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we, the great, it was that day, and I won't forget it, it was that day that I realized that I've got the right partner to work with because he did not like that I <laughs> at mean, all. I, I could, yeah, <laughs> I, I could see the space that he was drifting into, and but Neil caught himself and he said, "You know what? I don't like this, uh, but I understand the strategy." Mm-hmm. And then I knew I had a partner that could give and take with me. And of course, I have to give and take with him too. Sometimes he says, "Okay, now, Bill, we've talked about this. Now we need to execute it." Mm-hmm. And um, Generally, it's more often he reads me perfectly when, when um, I'm thinking out loud and he knows exactly what pieces to execute now. And um, so he probably reads me better than I read myself at some points. Mm. It was hard to stop, I have to tell you. It was hard to not actually do that internally. It was very difficult for me to stand there and go, okay, um, you sure? I think I must have come back to Bill's office about three times and said, Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Is it now okay? And, and he said, no, 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 mate. Let's just leave it right now. And I think what helped is he explained the reason. So two or three, again, if you understand the background to it, why are we going there? You can, you can not like the feeling of having to slow down, but you can, you know, you can respect the, the reason behind it. Um, that definitely helped, and that was the my growth point was to understand that yeah, there are times and that's there's a strategy that supersedes the the execution part, which I just wanted to get it done because I'd get it done with three other organizations, and this was the last one, and Bill had a good reason not to want to do this, and he was a hundred percent right. I didn't believe the reason at the time, which is again a good three thing. I just think you know it's like I'm sure he's just wrong. He's just you know he's not confident enough to go ahead or whatever my reasons were. <laughs> and, and it wasn't a couple of weeks later that he was proven absolutely right. That if I'd gone ahead with my strategy or execution at that point, it would have put us in a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. So he averted something that uh, that, that uh, would have happened. But what, he- what helps you internally slow yourself down and kind of self-soothe in those situations, Neil? Wow, Sandra, that's tough. It's, it's very little that does. I think, again, information. If I know the goal, if okay. I know the information, if there's, if there's... What Bill's great at doing is always explaining why. He's a, he's a, you know, first and foremost, Bill's a good teacher. Yes. So, um, and I think a lot of fives probably are in terms of explaining the explanation, yes. going through their thinking, where they are. So as long as I am taught the process and I understand where we're going and why, um, that helps. If I was working for somebody who just made a decision, said we're not doing this and didn't explain it, the frustration would be terrible. I can always go into Bill's office and say, I just don't understand this. And I do. I'll go there to have meetings with him mm. just to say, 
just explain it to me again, why are we doing this or why are we not doing this? Mm -hmm. and, and once I get the explanation, we, we have a lot of lunches and those really are our, <laughs> are our times to unwind and go, well, why, why are we doing this? And this person's doing that in the, in the organization and, and should this happen? And it's a good time for me to, to readjust my goals based on the feedback from Bill, basically. Because mm -hmm. I know he's always, Bill is just strategy. I mean, that, that's really what it is. He, uh, we always joke about it. He, 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 we don't like him to shave because he thinks when he shaves and he grew a beard at one point. We thought that would stop him thinking it didn't. Um, but it really is. That, you know, Bill comes back and he goes, oh, when I was shaving this morning, I had this idea. And you know, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff coming down the track for you. And, uh, Get your pen and oh, pen out. Oh, we're going to hear me scribbling on the whiteboard. On the whiteboard, yeah. You can hear the whiteboard squeaking and you go, oh dear. What's coming? And I have a one that sits next to him and myself. And now there's a three that sits next to him. You can hear the scribbling going, okay, um, there's something coming. And there is, but again, it's always thought out. The mm -hmm. whiteboard is pertinent to that. And when you walk in there, there's a structure and a strategy mm -hmm. for a three that's perfect. You get mm -hmm. the understand the structure and the strategy, and it ends with very specific goals mm -hmm. to achieve. Sometimes unrealistic. The, the fives can be unrealistic in their goals, mm -hmm. and Bill always dials the goals very we, tight. We actually prefer to call that audacious. <laughs> <laughs> but it's bold planning. Bold planning yes, is exactly right. what it is. Yeah. That's well, exactly you know, right. You know, you bring up a good point about let me know why. Uh, ones, threes, and fives in the Enneagram are the three types that really want to know what the expectations are and need it to be laid out very clearly. And so we look for ones, threes, and fives in organizations because those three types move the organization forward in kind of a systematic way, really. And Sandra, I think that's a great point you just raised because as I was listening to Neil especially, we've always known, in, in I guess maybe a native intelligence or a native um, leading with our types, that it fit together pretty well. But I think it, it just dawned on me as I was listening to Neil, what resonated with me was the fact that we both either are dispassionate from emotions, um, suppress emotions, but we both value information. And so that's, the, for me personally, um, it's been fantastic with Neil mm -hmm. because we don't have these emotionally inflammatory distractions it's either a good plan or neil says i don't like that element and i go like well why doesn't he like that element and then it's all about information it's never i, I can't think of one time i've ever been mad at him in five years i mean literally i don't yeah. i have i have not person. and this is not because we're on the podcast right <laughs> this is truth mm -hmm. I, I can't think of a time i've ever been mad at him mm -hmm. and uh, i mean i generally don't get mad at people but nonetheless it's uh uh, it has worked well because we trade off our commodities are emo emotionless uh, and information filled. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've named that that dynamic of the three five really well. And and the gift of that, one of the questions that comes up for me is, can that also be a challenge in terms of um, not tending to mm -hmm. uh, the emotional aspect of something? Does that, does that, does that come up for y'all? Neil was really, really on that when we were in the car driving over here. Uh, talking about the times that uh, we ha we have noticed, uh, for instance, we have sevens on our team, and and you know folks that are more extroverted than we are, perhaps who the emotion is important to them, right? Mm -hmm. And if they don't get to express that, and if they don't feel it in return, Neil and I can be looked at as steamroller one and two, right? Mm. You know, so Neil, yeah. I think the emotional part is the part we struggle with the most. I think both of us um, recognize it, but it's a very difficult thing to actually dive, in, dive into there. For a three, it stops you getting to your goals. Right. So you really don't want to have any interruption of that emotion and you, and you purposely you know, work around it. Um, 
and I think if there's any growth area, that would be our growth area is how do we get to there. But I have to admit, it's very difficult to get there for, mm. certainly for a three. And, and, and working with a five, it's easy because we don't have to go there ever. We mm. actually can mm. have a good conversation without having to go there. And we've actually got to, from my side, I, we've got to plan the emotional piece. Mm-hmm. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll have to actually, mm-hmm. you know, strategize yeah. and say, okay, um, we, we, you know, Bill and I don't, and Bill particularly, it doesn't like, you know, big celebrations at the office and we don't, People, again, as three, you know what you're achieving. As a five, you know what you're achieving. So celebration, why here, celebrate? Here. <laughs> we're already, you know, we, we, we're where we are. Oh, and and people here. do these things every now and again. And we have a three at the moment who is he's very extroverted. And it's quite interesting because he wants to celebrate and have get-togethers and do things. And you've got to actually plan. Just this week, that he, you know, we, we, we had some training and he wanted to have beers afterwards at work with a whole bunch of people. And I thought, okay, I better go. So So you can imagine my shock when my statistician, who turned out to be a three, was also extroverted and liked to to like gather together. And that was foreign to me. And so it, I mean, I love the guy to death. He's a great employee, but it took me a while to kind of get that into my stride. It's like, dude, I want the numbers from you. I don't want the emotion from you. Right, right. right. <laughs> when, when you said gather together just now, your lip curled up. I know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't help it. Yeah. It's definitely effort. I mean, the emotional part is effort. And, and, uh, and it's in the workspace, especially so, because in the home life, it's different because you have a relationship with that partner and there is an emotional piece. But in the workplace, you don't have to have that emotional relationship with, with anybody you're working with. You can avoid it, and that's dangerous to do so. But there are definitely times in my life where we've executed on a plan because that's what we have to do, and I think we've stepped over a few people in the process. Mm. Sure. I'm about to come back up and you know build them back up again to the place of going, okay, they, this wasn't done without him. Mm. That's the thing, mm. of, you know, the strange part about Bill, he's a very emotional person and he's very deep with his emotions. I'm easy. I just block them out and I go on. <laughs> Bill feels them and they drain him. So that's harder to handle because for him, it really is a drain on him. And, and I know that, I know well enough to see that, that when people are demanding all this kind of emotional, let's get in there and we need to feel this more and do this more, it, it's a drain to him. And I, the crazy part is I just want to get past it. So. I want to try and put that out that's as much right, as I can. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to make a distinction between heart intelligence and emotion. So when we talk about what's the heart of the matter for this organization, what's the heart of the matter for your leadership? Now, I've worked with the two of you long enough to have seen your hearts come alive in many situations. I have seen each of you tear up. I know that you have hugged the person who found out she had breast cancer. Those hearts of yours uh, are out there for this team. So it's good to distinguish between uh, intense emotion, which kind of divides the heart, and the heart intelligence that really connects. And you have that, and it's, I think that's worked well with your team. took me 50 years to get to the point where I really had an understanding, the beginnings of an understanding, um, that truth is abundance, not scarcity, right? Mm -hmm. And that truth is heart intelligence, uh, and that that's okay, because there was a brain conflict and a heart conflict with me for years, Mm -hmm. right? Because you could feel it, but you're like, wait a minute, that's draining me, right? Mm -hmm. And so your mind was saying, I got to protect you from that, right? So... 
getting into a situation in professional and of course personal life, I'm married to a three. And, um, so, and oddly enough, a five and a three have a son who's an eight. So y'all pray. <laughs> Lucky um, you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really took some time for me to get uh, grounded in the fact that, um, you know, my mind goes to a place just because the five, um, is concerned with scarcity. That does not make it true. Right. 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 Good point. I mean, that's the, that's the growth of the five is to recognize that that's not the truth. And, and I think, I mean, you can tell me this is true for you, that, that it's also not true that when you allow yourself to feel or be in the heart, that that actually can give you energy. Oh, yes, absolutely. As opposed mm-hmm. to the, the perception absolutely. that it will drain, those, drain energy. Absolutely true. And you, you named a key word just then, Bill, which was grounded. And so we've talked about uh, do think, but in the body... Um, the support the body offers is if you can ground, feel your feet on the floor, uh, no emotion will deplete you. Absolutely right. It's like Thoreau said, uh, fly fishing is a contemplative man's sport, right? And so when you feel the water run over your wading boots, uh, that that frees the mind, right? That's a great metaphor to bring into the office, Mm -hmm. just to feel the water running over your boots. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. We've touched on this a little bit when we're talking about this idea of emotions or feelings, but there may be other aspects um, of your types that have shown up that have created some um, uh, challenges or that tripped you up, and particularly your what aspects of your type have tripped you up in your work relationship. I think more in terms of learning some of the things from both sides. So I, for example, as a three, I... I I know what I can achieve. I set the goal. I've got the goal. I get it. And once I've achieved it, I'm fine. I, I, I don't need, you know, I, I, it's a done deal. And of course, for me, even more so, um, you respect me that, I, that I've, I've done that. You don't have to check on me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bull, it, it needs to have the loop closed. And it took me a while to get to that, that it's not him checking on me. It's not that he needs to know that I'm doing a good job, which is the way I initially thought it was, was why are you checking on me? Why are you finding out? Why are you seeing if I did that? He's got, you know, we always joke, well, he's got a bunch of TVs running in his head all the time. <laughs> I don't only have one TV, and that's <laughs> where it is and where I'm going. Bill has five or six open all the time. And, you know, if I don't close the loop, that TV stays on for him. Whereas, so that was one of the lo- big learnings. And again, it was through you, Sandra. I remember clearly when it happened, we were at, at, at that meeting in, in the Baltimore Park Town Square. Mm-hmm. And we came to that realization that, uh, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not Bill checking on me. It's not him doubting my ability to do it, which you know, made me feel like you don't trust me anymore. It really is a close the loop. So now it's an automatic. I will shoot Bill an email, I'll just go, hey, just done this, this is fixed, and I, I know I'm shutting that off, and it's not a... I had to learn that. It definitely was something at three I had to learn. Yeah. There's that laser suction cup focus that three has on the goal. Yeah, that was a good description of that. Yeah. The other thing is... is um, I, I've come to recognize that, again, I've never understand the depleting thing. For a three, depleting is not something you, right. you, you understand. Right. So I've never understood it very well, but I've had to learn to understand that, you know, that's, it's easy to take Bill into that place. So what uh, one of the things I do is when I walk into his office for any meeting, I, and I don't know if Bill's even aware that we do this or I do this, but I'll go, it's not going to be long, it's going to take three minutes. Or I'll say, this is not a big decision, it's a quite a small thing, we just need to get out of the way. Or this needs some time, we need to sit and talk about Correct. it. And I'll, I'll set the parameter very quickly so that he knows how much of my energy or my how much you're going to deplete me. 
And that again was a strategy that I, I through through working with you that we got to, and I realized it's a quick way to reset. If I just walked in, which I used to go, need to talk to you, he'll ask, well, what do you want? What are we doing? We, we go through a series of, of, you know, level set for me where I am first. Um, now it's just an automatic. Um, That's a great strategy. I mean, I often will say that, you know, if you want to have a, ask a five over, you never say, hey, will you come over to my house for un, some undetermined amount of time and do something we'll figure out? Because they'll always say no, right? But if you can set some parameters, as you've beautifully done, Neil, then it's like, okay, you can kind of relax, Bill, right? And kind of know what to do, how to respond. And I will say, Neil, that that um, is using the Enneagram for the proper purpose of compassion. Mm-hmm. So you, you understood, Bill, what's happening internally through the Enneagram map and said, oh, I can just say this little word or two, and he's better. And then the relationship works better. Mm-hmm. That's great use. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because we've never actually talked about that aspect before. But the way I have always interpreted that when he comes in, and he does do exactly what he said. He's very consistent about that, unless it's... a you know, a meeting that we have scheduled and there's an agenda because then it's, it's self-explanatory. But Neil knows that I don't like for people just to pop in and plop down and, you know, because there's at least 15 screens, maybe not even five. <laughs> um, but what I have always appreciated is, is I accepted that as a gift without even saying that to him. Mm. Um, now I wish I had said that I do accept that as a gift because it was intentional on his part. And, and uh, honest to goodness, we never even exchanged words about that. Mm. So it was his deliberation, uh, intentional compassion, right? Mm-hmm. And I was accepting that as a gift, but we never even thought about talking about it that yeah. way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of those things are in your life and other places that you, you just haven't mm-hmm. you know, noticed. And I think that's the danger is you miss those things. I remember also at that same meeting we had at Wilmore Park Town Square is when we had this discussion about feedback and, and Bill said, well, I don't want to actually, you know, I, I'm really trying not to put more work onto you because if I give you more stuff to do, then I just feel bad because you're working late already and you know, I know these things and, and I'm going, no, but I want the work. And if you don't do that, you're going to deplete me. And, and, it, and it was a complete opposite perspective of the way he saw it to me. He was giving me a gift, but I didn't want the gift. Uh, um, yes. And when I got to understand that well, that's what he was doing, it again managed me to, allowed me to accept it as a gift and not say, Bill saying go home, take the mm, afternoon mm, off, or, or I'm mm, just going to mm, slow down some mm, stuff for you. Mm. And um, yeah, I know the first time I met you, somebody walked slowly, and Bill, will, and I couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> and Bill will slow me down by not putting stuff there um, on purpose. And initially, I just I did I took that as being you know why not you you you're not giving me what I need, and I had to learn to say this is actually a gift to me. Well, it also points to, Neil, this idea that if I'm not accomplishing something, what is my value? Yep. Like, that's the sort of at the, the core of the three. And so that slowing down helps you, can help you claim value without what it is you accomplish or your goals. Yeah. Theory is good. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I understand. I <laughs> touched on this some as well, but I'll ask this question. Um, strategies that each of you have uh, used or engage uh, in order to um, continue to build this relationship and work well together. You've just named a beautiful one, Neil. Mm-hmm. Are there others? Mm-hmm. Well, really, there's so many, and it's almost hard to call anyone in particular to mind. I, um, 
I think I appreciate the fact too, and you know, obviously for a five, it's difficult to um, to sit down and have lunch and have unexpected idle chatter, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't know where that's going, you don't know what that's going to open up. But that's one of the main reasons why we go to lunch on a fairly regular basis is uh, we make time for that just general conversation. And more often than not, it's about family, it's about fly fishing, it's about his lake house, it's about South Africa, it's about Scotland, it's about all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, and it's really enjoyable because then you realize not only is that a person who makes an effort to work well with you, that's a person who makes an effort to know you as well. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that a lot of people could do in, in an office environment, irrespective of what type they are versus another type, yes. is to just meet someone uh, for the first time every time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It sure does. And uh, just, uh, it's that pseudo versus authentic, right? You don't have to be like me uh, for us to have a relationship, work well together, accomplish a lot of things for others together, et cetera. Um, but the only way you really can do that is if you come out of that shell. Because it's not just fives that have that little, That's you right. know, it, a lot of types won't extend themselves, even if they're extroverted, won't extend themselves. Right. Um, so I think we could challenge ourselves in all of our relationships to meet someone for the first time the next time we see them. That's beautiful. What I hear in that too is between the two of you, you have a four as your resource point. Between three and five is a four. And four is this desire for authenticity, right? Sort of mm-hmm. being true to myself and being real. And some of what I hear you talking about there is that connection and the, of being authentic with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to have someone who doesn't resonate in, internally themselves with feeling depleted, et cetera, but has enough respect to realize that if I just come in and blah, 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 about everything else going on, um, I, I'm taking you away from something that I don't want to say it's important, but, you know, health systems, there are important things going on all the time. And uh, just to have that level of courtesy, mm-hmm. I always accepted that and appreciated that uh, without realizing that it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. The group as well, I think, uh, the whole team, again, because we've all worked uh, worked through it together, have realized that the other thing you don't do with a five is walk in and have, you know, and say, well, you, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this and what should we do about it and, and what do you want us to do? You walk in with, so before we have any meetings with Bill, there's three or four of us that get together fairly frequently. We will work through what the thoughts are and combine them into a series of strategies or ideas that, that he gets ideas, not... You know, and, and every now and again, somebody will go, so, well, what's your idea? And I can just, I cringe because I just think, <laughs> don't ask that. That's a stupid question. I'll try and redirect the conversation away from that as quickly as possible. Because generally, people will go, well, have you then spoken to the donor? Maybe you should speak to them and not to me because that's where it comes from. So mm-hmm. we've learned as a team to have done that and have spoken to the donor and do have research and come out and... and we had some training the other day for, for CFRE certification, and the guy said, um, one of the things you need to do in the CFRE is, is do re- research. And everyone started laughing in the group because we research everything <laughs> and we have the data. So, you know, the easiest thing to do is to walk into Bill's office and go, 
this is what the data says, and these are the things we think. That doesn't mean he's not going to add to it. He'll definitely add to it. But if you just walk in with nothing at all, and uh, first of all, I didn't realize it was depleting, because it, it, it only through the Enneagram where it got to realize it actually depletes, and you throw that in his lap, and now he's expected to unravel it. Whereas if we give him a series of thoughts or strategies or ideas we thought of, we've done something with the data. We just haven't dumped it in his lap. Right. He'll take it from there and run. And then we, we, it just builds and builds and builds to something better. I think the greatest gift that a person can have is a curious mind, right? And and that's what we try to instill mm-hmm. is, okay, m- maybe I've been doing this for 24 years, whatever the case may be, um, but I don't have all the answers. And my biases, if left only to my interpretation, will come through, mm-hmm. right? That's why I always say, have you asked donors? Uh, they'll ask me what did I think about uh, the annual appeal letter, um, I say it doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters what the donors think about it. it what was their response rate? Did we receive criticism? If we did, that's a gift, right? Mm. Uh, did we receive accolades? If we did, that's a gift. And so it's, it's creating abundance around what sometimes people can be afraid of is feedback, right? <sighs> feedback is abundant. Yeah. And wow. even, even when people, um, I hope this is not inappropriate, but in the Gospel of Luke in the sixth chapter, um, where, where we literally are admonished to love the people that hate us, right? Mm-hmm. And do good to the people who harm us, mm-hmm. right? Feedback is not harmful. So mm-hmm. it's easy for us to accept that as good. What about, uh, what are some ways that you can help your work relationship flourish? Uh, what, what might be an invitation for you, particularly given your type to grow and, and help this relationship flourish? Yeah, I think one thing for us in particular, because you know that we're doing a merger with the largest healthcare provider in the country. And that has all manner of busy work that comes along with that, right? Uh, It's going to be an incredible thing for our community, but just because something's incredible and it's very busy, you can forget to go to lunch. And I look back on the month of probably, what was it, June, I guess it was. We didn't have lunch, but maybe one time. And then we realized, like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, a disconnect can come, right? Right. And uh, so you just have to simply be intentional. It's not like you got to move heaven and earth. It's just be intentional. You know, look to your mentors for guidance and examples. And then in your own intentionality, make sure that you're taking care of relationships and taking care of you in the process. And I think that we both benefit when we both do that. What helps you remember to do that, Bill? I've, I've gotten to a pattern in my life where it's easier to notice when, because of I being an observer, if patterns change, right, that's easy for us to pick out, right? I always love those things on, on Facebook when they say, which one's different? I'm like, well, it's that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why'd that take long, right? <laughs> but that's, that for me is something that I have to do intentionally is just to look back over the last couple, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, what patterns are different? Which one of these things is not like the other, mm-hmm. right? Compared to what I have always done that has worked. And that was when I realized, yeah, I need to go on the hall and get Neil and let's go to lunch because we hadn't had a chance to talk in a couple of weeks and there's lots going on. So in this, in this environment, a couple of weeks is disproportionate to what a couple of weeks would have been a year ago. Right. Hmm. And those lunches that you two engage sound like uh, a release valve. They are, and as Bill said earlier, it's not work talk. There might be one or two yeah. things we'll quickly need to resolve, and, and we'll literally get there, but it's very is definitely, that's the emotional, that's the emotional part of me that certainly yes. works in, in there. Mm. 
Um, and that's how I think Bill and I connect emotionally is at, at those lunches. That's when mm -hmm. we don't talk about anything other mm -hmm. than the kids and what's happening. And we all share different, you know, my kids are, are older than Bill's. And he'll go, did your kids go through that phase? And I go, absolutely. <laughs> and he has phase two coming. And, you know, we'll be able to share personal things, which we don't do around work. We don't have that environment at work. It's just, uh, to me, it would almost be inappropriate that Bill and I would be sitting in a meeting and talking that personally about mm -hmm. our lives. Together we'll do that at lunch, but mm -hmm. not, not in a work environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've almost established a time of inefficiency. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. lovely. Which is hard to carve that out mm -hmm. mental, mm -hmm. mentally, right? Because you're going like, well, wait a minute, inefficiencies, but... That's okay at lunch. Yes. Right? It's okay to carve that out once in a while. It really is. And, and actually, again, it's one of those things, just as we're talking, it's the first time I realized that that's what we're doing. It's not something we consciously did. It's just something we slid into mm -hmm. as, as a part of the process. And, um, and yeah, that, that is what it is for us. And I definitely miss it. When we don't have it, I feel like I missed something that week. I'll know that, and, and, and that there's something missing in my life because we haven't had that time. Yeah, Neil, what's the gift of that lunch? What is that, when you miss it, what are you missing? I think just the relationship, I think the emotional relationship, so I'm getting the emotional feed that, which I need because I know I need it, but I, I, I hide it and, I, and it's, I bury it. This is a, a way to actually have that mm. emotional um, high, for want of a better word, of actually being, being filled with the emotional peace and discussing just the things that are emotional to us mm. and, and mm. That, that meet us. I mean, you start getting into discussion around your families and discussion around things you love to do mm. and the passions that you have, and it's, it's so good for the soul to, mm -hmm. to, to do that. For me, it, it's part of my work environment where it gives me an emotional feed. Mm -hmm. And what's the impact of that on your working relationship? Two things. One is that, first of all, you know, again, as a three, and, and, and I know from a five as well, is I, Bill is always my boss, and, I, and he always will be my boss, and I have huge respect for that, and, I, and, and, it, and it is because of who he is and what he does more what he does, again, obviously, and, and I have high respect for what Bill does. So that relationship will never change in that um, I, I love to execute for him because that's what I love to do, but I also have, I, I always said in my life, I'll never work for people I can't respect. And, uh -huh. and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, that was essential to me, and this is definitely the best person I've ever worked for because I have huge respect because, not just because of what he puts out there, but it happens the way Bill says <laughs> it's going to happen, you know, and that's big for a three. Bill says this is where we're going to go and this is where it's going to end up being. It happens that way and, and we get there. And, and a lot of, you know, it, it's tough to be in the, in the trenches and you just don't see the plan and mm. you get through it. And, and I know I'm speaking for all of our department. I know that a lot of the plans Bill has set over the last three years, when it gets there, people will say, I couldn't believe it actually got there. I remember our first meeting we ever had with Bill, he came in and everyone was, he said, do a brainstorm. And we all brainstormed. I got up and led the brainstorm. And what do we need to do? And people said, we need somebody to make the coffee. And we need somebody. And Bill came in and said, what is this going on here? I'm looking for a brainstorm on how we can achieve the goals. And everyone said, oh, we can't achieve those goals. Those are too big. And, um, and we had not only achieved them, we exceeded them. Yes. And it really shocked everyone, I think, in a good way that they realized, wow, you can actually do this. And, mm. it, and it really inspired everyone. So that respect will always be there for, for Bill as, as my boss. But the lunch has reversed that. The lunch has become where we just become two people sitting across the table having lunch. And Neil said something that was really important. It was, it was authentic, right? It's not... Uh, well, I'm going to try to impress my boss on the number of things I know about thus and so. He's not like that, mm -hmm. right? If he were, I wouldn't enjoy the lunch. And so, but we never, we never sat down and said, we're going to have lunch mm -hmm. two times a week, one time a week, once a month, and this is the agenda. 
we never we never did that and so it was almost like you know just get to know somebody and then organically let that develop into whatever it's going to develop and we got plenty of time to work well, i mean both of us you know it would be 11 o'clock at night and we're still sending emails or we're still doing thus thus and so um there's plenty of time for work we just don't carve out enough time for authentic interaction with human beings Anything else that uh, either of you would like to share, um, thoughts we haven't talked about? Um, one of the things, and it may be lost on this audience because everybody's so in tune with the Enneagram, they understand it as part of their lives and probably why they're on this podcast. But I, I think when, when you say what um, can foster this in other teams, right, I think it ought to be standard practice uh, for every working team in the world right, to take the time and, and do the Enneagram training uh, and evaluate types uh, so that you can meet someone as who they are, not as who you expect them to be, or worse, meet them and expect them to be like you. Right. There is such a liberty and an abundance, right, out of understanding that this person is a seven and lead, or leads with a seven, I should say. Um, and what does that really mean, mm -hmm. right? This person leads with nine. What does that really mean? Uh, it has been extremely helpful uh, in our home life with our son, too, understanding that his mom's a three, I'm a five, and he's an eight, right? He's got a different worldview than his mother and his father have, mm -hmm. right? But for us to be able to um, look at him and hear what he's saying, understand what he's thinking and why he's thinking that way and what his fears are, et cetera, it has been liberating for our home, uh, and Neil and I both can attest to how liberating it has been for our work environment. And I think that, gosh, I don't know how to do it, right, because you can't tell people what to do, but I would urge people to really go into the time that it takes to authentically evaluate uh, a team for a pseudo team versus an authentic team. And what is, what's the fuel for that? I think it's the Enneagram. Mm. Uh, because you just generally understand first who you are so you can appreciate who someone else is and realize that those two things are never cloned. Hmm. Beautifully you, said. Bill. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And it's gone right across the whole team, and that's what's fantastic about it is that it's become, as you've seen, even seen from us, it's become instinct. A lot of yes. the things we're doing currently, we didn't even know we were doing. They would just become such a part of the ethos of who we are that mm -hmm. we do those. And I've seen that happen within the entire team, the way they operate with each other. It's becoming. It's gone from just a learning about self and, and and the other to an instinct about how to interact with people in a better way and how to interact with yourself in a better way. Mm. You're using it uh, for compassion, not pigeonholing or right. blaming or Absolutely. using it as an excuse. And Neil, your example of approaching Bill with beginning and end time is just a real uh, demonstration of using it compassionately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're using it. You're not learning it. You're learning and then growing. That's, yeah. right. That's right. Big difference. Mm -hmm. It's really, I think, uh, key what you just said about use it for compassion, not labeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that is an absolute maxim, not just a good thought, but that's a maxim. Yeah. It's something Sandra and I say all the time. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. Before we close, anything else that either of you want to add to the conversation? Yeah, I guess the last thing I would express is just gratitude uh, to you, Sandra, for years ago coming into my mm -hmm. life um, and really sort of 
raising the shade, so to speak. Okay. And uh, it has been a fantastic journey. I guess I knew you for two to three years before I came even to mission. Uh, and yeah. I see, like Neil just suggested, uh, the life change in, in people on our teams, the confidence that they have, the appreciation that they have for others around them, but most importantly, the kindness that they've learned to express to themselves. Mm, yeah. That's um, nice. Like there's nothing wrong with me because I look at things this way. That's you know, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's a gift. That's a gift. So I, I think yeah. that the work you two are doing is just incredible. Mm -hmm. The fact that you through this podcast are reaching, uh, Neil and I both were surprised that there are folks out there listening from South Africa. Um, I mean, all over the world, yeah. you're touching lives. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, we appreciate the lives you touch here in Asheville, but we appreciate the lives you're touching all over the world. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Gracious. Yeah. yeah, It's been a pleasure. Thanks to both of you. What a treat to be with you. That yeah. was fun. Thank you. Yeah, we'll Rich conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In closing, I'll offer this quote from Rilke. Only someone who is ready for everything, who excludes nothing, even the most incomprehensible will live the relationship with another as something alive and will sound the depths of their own being. With heartfelt gratitude, I'm Chris. And I'm Sandra. And we invite you to continue to look lovingly and courageously at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.